people already getting welcome back to the Active Self-Protection Podcast. I am once again your host, Mike Williver, and I remain your favorite former Fed. Uh, with us today is Raul. Raul Mendez is out of Arizona, not too far from where I live, just north of me. Um, he is a firearms instructor. He is married with three kids, and more on that later, by the way, foreshadowing. Um, and he has a real doozy of a story. It is um, He and I just spoke before I hit the record button. And I am rarely blown away by a story um, or left speechless, but it is uh, it is quite something. So uh, buckle up. It's going to be interesting. Raul, thank you so much for uh, for being on. I appreciate it. Oh, no, thank you for having me. So uh, I mentioned at the top, you are a firearms instructor. Is that something you've been doing for a long time or something that you picked up more recently? And was it a result of, at least in part of the incident, or was it something you were already planning on doing? No, this is actually a result of the incident. Uh, just after what happened, eventually it just kind of grew a passion that my situation can happen to anybody. And, you know, what I, I feel like we lack people actually out there that are willing and want to train people and give them that proper guidance of how to properly handle a firearm and how to properly handle a, a life or death situation. So it just kind of grew on me to, you know, just be able to help people. Very nice. And, and as the, as you'll hear later or see later, dear listener and viewer, you will understand what he means by that um, once he tells the entire story. Uh, and, and again, I, I can't overstate. It is a doozy. And if you are a little sensitive, um, this might not be the episode for you because there's a lot of graphic details that are going to be included here. So just be ready for that as well. So um, we've already kind of foreshadowed that you had a critical incident. Um, you prevailed that yes. critical incident and you a firearm was used. Um, by you successfully, so, so much as anything like this can be a success or call it a success, but you're able to defend yourself and others with a firearm. Is that something you've been doing for a long time prior to the incident? Were you a self-defense-minded person, a firearms carrier before this all went down? Uh, as soon as I turned 18, I bought my first shotgun. By the time I would turn 21, when I was legally able to carry a firearm or a, a hand, or purchase a handgun, I did. I bought my first handgun, and since then, I just carried it religiously. Very good. So I, I like to ask, and there's no judgment here, Raul, what was your first pistol that you bought for carry? Uh, my first pistol was a 1980 original nickel-plated Browning High Power. All right. Well, nine millimeter. we're done here. Thank you, everybody. You can go <laughs> home now. The competition is over. That is the most original first gun I've ever heard. Where on earth did you buy this or was it gifted to you? No, I bought it. Uh, so I guess growing up, uh, by the time I reached six, I shot my first firearm. Uh, my dad, he was always, you know, huge into firearms and gun safety. And that's where I kind of picked it up from. Sure. But my dad always had a Browning, but he had the uh, the blued out one, you know, the one that's all black, just mm -hmm. with the brown grips. And I was like, I want a Browning. I ended up looking and I found this nickel plated, just all original, original from factory nickel plated, uh, adjustable sights. And just, you know, I just fell in love. It was like love at first sight with wow. that pistol. So I, I had to have it as my first pistol. You can't argue with that. The, the, the parental influence is real, uh, when it comes to stuff like this. So, oh yeah, very good. And since then, um, have you purchased other pistols for, for sort of everyday carry? Uh, yeah, um, I mean, had a Smith & Wesson M&P, uh, let's see, what else? Uh, and then my actual other daily carry, the the pistol that I was carrying the night of the incident, 
was a Glock 36. So it was a single stack uh, in a 45 caliber. And that's what I was carrying. So that became like my everyday carry. Or as John would say, the Lord's caliber, 45. And the reason we carry a 45 is? I say I only want to shoot once. Okay. Well, normally it's uh, <laughs> they, because they don't make a 46 is what, I, is what uh, I've heard okay. before as well. Anyway, <laughs> enough about that. I say go big or go home. I, mean, I just want to squeeze once. but Yeah. And you'll... <laughs> I, I, you've been around guns long enough to know there is a whole debate about this that I'm not even going to go anywhere near. Uh, as it ter- we'll, we'll, we'll save that for another one. Yeah, absolutely. So, so during the incident, not not to get too far into it now, but uh, were you care? Was it a 45 that you utilized in the incident, or was it something else? Yes. Okay. Yes, right, and, well. and I and I do have just a little treat for you and everybody you know watching. I do have the 45 I used during the incident. All right. And it's it, it, it's crazy. The way you're going to see it is just amazing i didn't clean it i didn't do anything i just put it in a shadow box and it's gonna stay like that as my as my trophy pistol and as a reminder of how precious life is and you know just to remind my family and myself of the evil that's out there and what we have to do to prepare ourselves absolutely so with without any further ado let's talk about the incident you ran me through it at least briefly before we hit the record button um it hasn't been that long since it happened so kind of just walk us through uh, what it is you were doing and what sort of led up to this whole thing? Yeah, well, it was July 3rd, 2022, so last year. Uh, buddy invited us to go over, you know, celebrate our freedom, you know, 4th of July. And so we were having a good time. You know, we lit fireworks and while we're lighting fireworks, some neighbor comes, makes small talk, introduces himself. And, you know, eventually we would make our way back into the house. And that's where... He makes his way into the house uninvited. From what I'm aware of, nobody told him, like, hey, come in. So he makes his way in. Uh, The host, he actually, you know, he's like, oh, you're the neighbor. Come sit down, have some food, have some drink. You know, come hang out with us then. You're already in here, you know, just being a friendly neighbor. What was his vibe like when he came in? Did he seem, you know, because if if somebody's a little off, you can usually tell. Was there any danger sign to you or anything about him that said, hey, this guy's (laughs) maybe not quite right? Not to me, but the funny thing is after the incident, my wife told me that there was something off about him or he was, she just said he was weird, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, I, I'm such a friendly person welcoming to everybody. You know, I'm always with us, even till now, I'm always with a smile on my face. I mean, life can punch me in the face and put another bullet through my head, but if I get up, I'm going to be with a smile. Nice. I like you it. Know, I'm just such a positive person. So you know, I give people chances, which is probably now, you know, you learn from that. You know, always be aware of your surroundings, no matter who it is. I mean, it can happen to anybody. Sure. So. So he comes in and, and you, the the host, this is not your house. So the host, or no. the homeowner, um, has seen this guy before. He's not a complete stranger. but They're He's not a complete stranger. They're not no, really familiar with him either, right? They're not like good right. friends or anything. So it's weird that he came in the house. Right. I mean, he's seen him for years waving at him just as he's driving away because it was literally across the street and like two, three houses down is where this guy lived. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, once he, once you're leaving your neighborhood or coming in from your neighborhood, you see a neighbor outside. I mean, do the friendly thing. You wave at him. They wave back. And I mean, he's been doing that for years, but no formal introduction that I'm aware of. And he was definitely not invited, right? He just sort of came in no. like it was cool. No, not that I'm aware of. Okay. So, you know, we talk about lessons. So, uh, you know, it, it's tough to say that anyone could have predicted any of this happening. Obviously, probably not. But 
you know, just take it as a sign. If somebody just walks into your home who's never been in your home before and wasn't invited, maybe take that opportunity to have your spidey senses go off a little bit and be like, okay, that's <laughs> weird. That's odd. I need to maybe keep an eye on this guy. So he's sitting there eating, uh, and I take it he didn't care for the hot dogs, or what happened? Uh, so he was there eating. We're eating some seafood, mm. and I was probably about 10 feet away at the dining area on my back. I'm talking to somebody else on my back, again, is, is facing him, and there's uh, two two friends literally right across from him from the kitchen island, and my wife was literally right next to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, empty bar stool, and then my wife, and then an- another female. And just out of nowhere, he just kind of pushes his plate away, stands up, pulls out a uh, handgun, nine millimeter handgun, and just starts shooting at everybody. Just no warning. No, he was not provoked. No signs, no fighting, no nothing where you can say like, hey, because I mean, all the guests there that we, you know, us, we're all friends. If he would have had an issue with one person, he would have had an issue with all of us. So he would have been thrown out you know, a long time ago. So there was just no warning signs, no issues, no arguing, no fighting, no confrontation at all. Did, did he say anything at all? No. Wow. It's very, that had to be very surreal. Okay. So she, your wife's able to see him do this before yes. you're able to turn around and see what's going yes. on. So just kind of walk us as, yeah, as deliberately so, as you can through, through what happened then. Yeah. So he shoots a first friend, uh, literally right across from him and, he doesn't drop, so he pulls the trigger again. By the second, you know, shot, he my friend just drops, hits the ground. Uh, one of the bullets pretty much hit him in the throat. Just pretty much died right then and there. Wow. Uh, my wife saw that. She just it was from what she tells me it was just like unreal. Like what the hell is it a joke? The first shot is like she thought it was like a firework gun or something that just makes a pop like a joke. But then by the second pop, she sees you know just blood splatting and. He just hits the ground. So that's when she hits the ground and just starts yelling and turns around at me to look at me. But by the time she's turning around looking at me, I'm turning around to see what's going on. So I turn, you know, through my right side, you know, to see what's going on. And just instantly, he just already had, you know, his sights right on my head. And so he pulls the trigger and pretty much shoots me right here. So for those listening, he's indicating just just ahead of his right ear. So sort of kind of where the jaw meets, right? Uh Uh-huh. More or less. So, yeah, right. But, yeah, exactly. Like right here. So he shoots right there. It goes all the way through, fracturing my jaw, eye socket, nose, and pretty much takes out my left eye completely. So at that point, I lose all, you know, just vision from my left eye. Everything's covered in blood. So everything's a blur. My wife runs to me and tries to get me up, you know, baby, get up. Come on, get up. We got to go. We got to go. And she can't pick me up. You know, I'm on my knees and she grabs my face to like for me to look at her, you know, like, hey, are you listening? And she just sees blood just dripping everywhere. Uh, That's when, you know, she has to decide what to do. And at that point, I mean, she does the next, well, the only best thing. And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, She just lets me go. And she just gets tunnel vision and just makes her way to the bedroom where my two daughters were. Mm. Makes her way there and just, there was other kids there. There was, I believe, a total of five kids, my two daughters and like three other kids. Uh, She puts them in the closet, throws clothes, tells them to be quiet, do not make a noise. No matter what you hear, 
Nothing, not a peep. Nobody, make sure nobody knows you're in here. Closes the closet door, barricades the, the bedroom door with the dresser, and she's seven months pregnant. So, wow. Barricades everything and just waits there patiently. Waits there just waiting for when she's next mm. and just hoping that if she goes and he comes in there, that she doesn't find that he doesn't find the kids. Right. Wow. That must have been. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, of course, you know, moms do mom stuff. They go into mom mode. And so they're, you know, once she figures, well, I can't not help my husband. Um, she, I'm assuming she thought you were dead or dying very quickly. So, yeah. okay, what can I do? I can go help the kids and hopefully get them to some something like safety. Um, right. You, you've talked to her, obviously. You've talked to your wife since then. Um, I, I trust. So what was her thinking at that point when she's back in the bedroom? Does she assume you're dead or about to be, or does she, what does she think? No, she, she assumed I was dead. So okay. in her, you know, in her mind, like there was just so much blood. And like, by the time like she grabbed my face and was looking at me, like I just hit the ground completely. And I just, she just said I wasn't moving. All right, so so for, she's like, he's, he's dead, you know, for our listeners. I want, I want to reiterate this right now before I forget because Raul is not the first person to be on the show who was shot directly in the face from close range um, and got hit in the cheek. And you heard me just say it. He's the second person on my show to whom that has happened. So what does that tell us? That means that if you're shot, it doesn't mean you're going to die necessarily. It means you need to stay in the fight and keep your head in the game. If you're shot in the face, in the head, it doesn't mean you're dead. If you're still thinking, if you're still breathing, that means you're still alive. And if you can, that means you should get back in the fight any way that you can and try to try to preserve your life and, and the lives of people around you, the people that you care about. So oh, yeah. uh, you're, you're now, do you remember everything from beginning to end or is there any sort of blank spots for you? I, I don't. Everything's kind of like putting the pieces together. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's it's been over a year. So it's I've spent over a year putting the pieces together you know so your wife so, your wife's back in the bedroom at some point you're you realize okay well i'm not dead what now and and what happens well as my wife is running towards the bedroom this guy is running towards the living room uh there's people trying to run out uh, there's a, a door and a, and a metal screen door, so they're trying to open everything to get through. So he just starts shooting towards the door at everybody. Wow. Uh, some people were shot in the back, shoulder, you know. Uh, one of the guys was shot in the leg. So he couldn't make it out. Everybody else made it out but him. So one of the girls that ran out could hear the one that got shot in the leg, you know, pleading for his life. Why are you doing this? Please don't. I got kids, you know? Mm -hmm. Why are you doing this? And no, he didn't care. Didn't say anything. Just went up to him, pointed that barrel, pointed the muzzle right at the top of his head and just executed him right there, right wow. in front, right before he made it out the front door. Good Lord. And where, where are you as all this is happening? I see, does he assume uh, black. you were out, I'm, of, I'm black. out of the fight? I'm out of the fight. I'm blacked out in the in the dining area. So we don't know, but we we figure he probably figured you were either dead or at least no longer a threat. He wasn't paying yeah, a lot no attention to you at that threat. point. Okay. And uh, go ahead. What happens then? Uh, so he executes him, and he makes his way to the master bedroom, where doors locked, 
You got three women in there. Two are hiding in the closet with two children, two boys. And one of them is on the other side of the door trying to hold the door closed. Mm. Well, he starts shooting through the door, you know, to the the door handle, trying to get it unlocked. And she's on the other side. So she takes like three, four bullets to the arm, one to the leg. <clears throat> and eventually he makes his way through the door where, you know, she wasn't ready to go. You know, her mama bear instincts kicked in too. So she tries to grab his hand where he's holding that pistol and tries to wrestle him. Mm. Well, she's able to get him to empty out his magazine. <clears throat> so he shoots all this, all his rounds, you know, around the, the bedroom and she tries to point it towards the dresser. And when he figures out that he's out of ammunition on that pistol, because just to mention, he did have another pistol on him and extra magazines, loaded magazines. So, so he could have reloaded. So this wasn't a spur of the moment decision on his part either, obviously. he was. He was it it seems like it's not. It seems like, hey, I'm, I'm going to kill a bunch, you know, or something. Because, I mean, he had two pistols on him, a bunch of, you know, loaded magazines, and just seems like he was ready to go. Uh, so he decides to just get behind her, try to finish her off just by choking her, dropped mm. her to the ground, wrapped his legs around her, and just try to finish her off. That's when she's screaming, my name, help, help, roll, 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 you know. She knew I carried a concealed, you know, pistol. But little does she know, technically, you know, I I should be or I, I'm dead. You know, I got just got shot in the head. I'm bleeding out. Right. You know, uh, actually, one of the other girls that was in the closet, she finds an AR. Couldn't load it, though. That's where, you know, why I'm so big on training now. Sure. Everybody, you know, my wife, you know, females, everybody, even kids, mm -hmm. even my kids, I'm training. So that's why it's so important. Well, she comes out with that pistol, oh, I'm mean, sorry, with that rifle, and she just starts striking the guy. She starts striking the guy and trying to get him off of her. So she definitely saved her life, Wow. you know, because he would have finished her off right there. He would have, you know, just, she was already running out of air. She would have been done. But that's about the time where, you know, something picked me up. You know, you have three women in there, you know, the first two that died... And technically, I should be. So that would have been three men. You know, now, now you got the, the women and children involved. Right. That's about the time, like, where something picked me up. I don't know. I, I, I can't explain it. I don't know. People say it's adrenaline. People say autopilot. People say it was just, you know, a miracle. You know, some Holy Spirit just got me up. You know, I, I really can't, can't say what it is. But I, I think God just said it's not your time and you know you you need to do something about it hmm. like you're the only one that can do something about it right now so i get up i'm near the back door i could have easily just done what most people did and just run out that back door yeah you know but do those other you know, people, spider it's fight or flight do those you know? other people have kids in in the house the ones mm -hmm. that try to get out oh yeah well okay um, uh the homeowner ran out and, you know, left his wife and kids. That's the one that was getting choked out. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So all the, all the men that ran out, most men, I mean, I don't want to call them men now, but, you know, they ran out. And the way I see it is they ran out on their family and they ran out on my family. I was out of the fight. I would expect the other so-called men to do what they can to protect my wife and kids the same way. I would have done the same. If they were out of the fight, 
I want to fight for the women and children. You know, that's our duty as men, you know, as a husband, as a friend. So I lost a lot of friends that night, not just to death. So, so as you were, as you're coming to, was it a sense of sort of waking up or coming out of something? What was, what did it feel like for you as as you sort of regained consciousness? Felt like a dream. Like I woke up from a dream, from another dream. Like I woke up from a dream to be in another dream. I don't know. I can't explain it. That actually makes a lot of sense. (laughs) You know, so just, yeah. So I I just woke up and I'm dreaming and, you know, I just make my way towards those screams and something told me that was him. You know, didn't think twice. How well are you you able to see through the eye that's still there? Like at that, at that moment, moment, everything's a blur. Okay. I, I see shapes. I was able to see shapes. Okay. So like, I, mean, I, I couldn't see facial, you know, facial features or nothing like that. Not, I saw shapes. Not to get too far in the weeds, but you you saw this. You saw you you had an idea at least before you got shot of who this was doing the thing, right? Doing the shooting. Um, when you come back to sort of consciousness, um, as as uh, fugue state as it may have been in that moment and as blurry as your vision was, did you, did you know who you were looking for? Did you go, okay, this is the guy, this is the neighbor guy who came over. This is who I'm looking for. Or was it just, I need to go find the bad guy. I don't know who it is. To be honest with you, I, I, I remember how I told you, I'm still trying to put all the pieces together. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, th- th- that's still something that's unknown to me. I, I don't recall. Mm-hmm. I don't recall if I knew it was him or wasn't him or, Cause I even woke up from the hospital. Like what happened? Right. Like I had a dream, but I'm not dreaming. I'm just woke up. I'm here. What the hell's going on? You know, type of thing. But I mean, I couldn't really see. I saw just objects, shapes and, you know, just shapes. And something just dragged me to that room and I found the right shape. That's all I can say. Found the right, right shape. And I just went for center mass of that shape. So you're and aiming, I sh- yeah. So you're literally aiming for the center of mass of what whatever is whatever is obviously whatever threat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So were, was there? You may not be able to remember this either, but I'm just trying to help pe- the people who can't see this, especially understand because you're in you're in this really compromised position where you you've literally just had an eye blown out. Um, I don't know how much pain you're feeling at the time, if any. Um, but now you've got to go forward into this, you know, you're injured, you're not sure, you know, exactly where the threat is. You have to go find the threat. You know what I mean? There's a lot going on there for you as the defender. Um, how do you, how do you know? And I'm I'm not giving you a hard time here, I promise you did a remarkable job. How do you know what you're shooting at? Is there screaming? You know what I mean? Is there something indicating to you that, okay, this is where my problem lies, because you weren't just going to shoot at a random shape. It could be anybody. Right. You know what I mean? So right. kind of help us understand how you knew that was your threat. Something told me. I don't know. Okay. I, 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 if I give you an answer, I'll be lying to you and to no, the audience. No, that's fine. So no. I, 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 I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you, it, and, and that's, and that's why it goes back to people say it's the adrenaline autopilot of my adrenaline, but, the same time i'm thinking it's not right you know what i mean like it's something i feel i mean i feel god was with me that night 
you, you know, I've, I've I've gotten where people say, well, God wouldn't allow this to happen. But you know what? There's a lot of evil. And, you know, God's not going to intervene to everything because he's trying to prove a point, you know, to the world that we can't live without him. You know, we can't rule or we can't, you know, without God. But I feel like at this point, he was just like, this is enough, you know, this is enough. And I think like he just intervened and that's why it was just such a dream to me. Yeah. And that's why it's just like I on a dream you wake up and you might remember, you might remember some details, some you don't, and you're like, damn, remember that dream I had? Oh, I'm trying to remember. Like it's pretty much where I'm at. And yeah. that's the frustrating part that I try to lay there and meditate and just try to remember every detail. And a lot of people tell me that's unhealthy to do, but I think that's like honestly the way I'm coping, you know, just letting that be a constant reminder and how blessed we are that we actually survived it. And, you know, I, it could have gone a lot worse. I could have died and you know, I could have lost a baby. I could have lost my family. You know, I could have been, uh, you know, paralyzed. I could have been, you know, completely blind from both eyes. And, you know, just where I'm at, I just feel like, you know, the turnout was okay for our family to accept and move on. Well, certainly not as bad as it could have been. I mean, that's the bottom line. Exactly. Um, so you, um, you draw, where, where were you carrying? Was it appendix or strong side? And what were you, uh, so I was carrying a appendix. So I was carrying, yeah, I was carrying appendix concealed. You told us it was the, Uh, yeah, the 45. Yeah. It was a, it was a Glock 30. Here's It was a Glock 36. Yeah, let me, I don't really touch it because still a bunch of blood on it, but if you guys can see it. Yeah, so for those who are only listening, we're looking at, um, it looks like a pretty much bone stock. Um, bone stock. If you're, It's the 45 version of the Glock 26, so if that helps people who can't see, understand what it looks like. Stock sights, just the U in the back and the white dot in front, um, and it is yeah. pretty, it's got quite a bit of of a blood residue on it. So how was it you were able to um, know the threat was over, I guess was what I was trying to get at. How do you know? Cause you're not able to see very well. Is it the reaction of other people in the room or is it just, you saw this, this shape now disappear or go down or how, how did you know? I guess, how did you know the fight was over? That I don't know. Okay. Something just four shots. And I thought four shots were enough. At that point, I guess the to me, I guess the shape just stopped moving. About how far would you say you were from him when you pulled the trigger? Uh, just ballpark. Maybe like three feet, four feet. Okay, so pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. Because, I mean, they were wrestling by the front door. I mean, near the entrance to the master bedroom. And the way, like, you got to hit a corner to get to right in front of the door mm-hmm. of the master bedroom. Because it's the way the hallway is. There's a hallway wall, it ends, and then you got to make a left, and the door's right there. So I would have to cut that quick left, and I'm literally right at the door. And if this happened right by the front door, he couldn't have been more than four four feet. Okay. He goes down. Is is there someone there, your wife or someone else, to tell you or or to give you the idea, okay, yes, that was the guy that was shooting people, and yes, he's no longer a threat, so that you can at least rest as easily as you can rest under the circumstances knowing that you're no, there's no, no longer, no longer an immediate threat to your family. I'm sure. I, I don't remember any of that, but I'm sure the, one of the girl, I'm sure the girls were there. Sure. Okay. Uh, they haven't mentioned, 
pretty much after all this happened, we stayed in touch for a bit. But then I just kind of... I just kind of stopped talking to everybody. We just kind of... They, they weren't the people for me. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like... And, and the thing, it wasn't with the girls that fought off. Because to me, they're heroes. Mm-hmm. You know, they gave me the opportunity to do what I had to do to end the threat. If it wasn't for them, he probably would have gone back and saw me standing up and he would have finished me off, you know? So to me, those those girls are heroes, but again, to their who they affiliate with or their significant other, those are the ones that I'm, you know, pretty much I cut off out of my life. Well, I'm going to... Because, gonna, I mean, gonna... if I can't trust them with my families and their families' lives then I don't need that type of people around my circle. I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest to you, and I don't know if anyone said this to you before or not, I'm going to suggest to you anyway that they are, that is the average response. Uh, even with the presence of a family member, even with the presence of a loved one, the average the average baseline response to a deadly threat is to skedaddle. And the unusual, the outlier is the person who will stay and try to do something about it. Um, that's just human nature. I was in law enforcement for 30 years. And I got to tell you that the people that stick around to try to end a threat like that are the exception to the rule. You know, most people are going to get to safety. And for some of them, you know, they might rationalize it by saying, well, I've got to get out of here and figure out what to do so I can go, you know, go back and help my family or whatever. I'm not going to judge those people. You were there. I wasn't, you know what I mean? So I can't, I I can't speak to that at all. Um, But I, 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 I do want to know once once this is settled down, someone calls nine one one. I assume. Um, how does that go down? Uh, every everybody that ran out, everybody that ran out as soon as they got to a safe place, they're calling nine one one. Okay. So how long does it take for the police to get there? And do they go right in? I would imagine they don't. I imagine they wait and make sure that safe. Uh, well, they safe. wait until it was safe. By the time this was over, and. I mean, I was reunited with my wife and kids until my wife finally decides to to move the dresser out of the way. And I'm finally reunited with my family. We make our way out the house. Uh, by the time we make our way out, uh, I, my wife mentions that the PD was already out there. PD was already out there. They see me walking out with a, with a pistol in my hand. With my arms around my wife, they don't know what's going on. So, you know, they're automatically just, of course, they all point their firearms at me, right. yelling, drop your weapon, drop it, drop it. And, you know, I, I'm already, I mean, at that point, threat's over. My body's already, you know, the adrenaline, everything's already dying down. I'm already getting to the point where, you know, I'm going to collapse again, you know? Right. And so I don't remember any of that. And that's why when I showed you my pistol, all the scratches, those were from when I, I actually, my wife had to grab me and say, throw it. You're going to get shot again. Right. So I threw my pistol and, and yeah, that's pretty much we're outside and, and they go in and sweep the house. So at the end of the day, how many people lost their lives that day? Uh, two. Okay. And it was, there, were there others besides you that were shot and made it? Yes. There was about three or four others that were shot. Okay. Uh, wounded besides myself you know and i i remember you talking about someone else saying you know why are you doing this why you know and that's that's the age-old question when you're when you're faced with something that's just pure evil um and i i believe that people can be for lack of a better term i'm going to call it possessed we've had more than one person on this show 
Um, one of the first guests we had described a guy who showed up. He was, was an office setting. It was a temp agency where guys would come in in the morning and, um, you know, they would look for temporary work and they would try to hook him up with employers. And this right. one guy had been in there, you know, a bunch of times, never had a problem, good worker, no issues. And then one day he he's there for work. They run out of work, so they send him on his way. He comes back a little while later with a machete, comes around the corner, buries the machete in the in the shoulder area of his coworker. And this guy turns, he's carrying appendix and draws to go and defend, you know, himself and others. And by the time he gets his gun out, the guy's on top of another wrestling over the gun and the machete. And there's a whole thing. Wow. Anyway, you can go back and listen to that one if you like, dear listener and for viewer. Sure. But at the end of the day, once he's wrestling with this guy, he's still in the middle of, you know, fighting this guy off and trying to survive and trying to shoot him to get the guy to stop doing what he's doing. And he said, when he looked in the guy's eyes, like nobody was home, there's nothing behind his eyes at all. And when the guy stopped doing what he was doing, it was literally like, like a possession was lifted like this, whatever was controlling him or making him do this stuff kinda... went away. Yeah. And he, and I got chills hearing him tell this story, but it doesn't in, in the moment that you're fighting for your life, it doesn't matter if the person is evil or is somehow possessed by evil or whatever. The fact is evil is present and evil is trying to hurt you, kill you right. and kill your loved ones. So you have to stop that evil entity from doing what it's doing. Um, can, can I ask, um, do you remember what kind of ammunition you were using and where you hit this person? Like where anatomically he was hit? <laughs> uh, I had just some FMJs, Remington brand, full metal jackets. I had gone out shooting. I had an extra magazine that I didn't fire, you know, for target practicing. And I didn't put my hollow points or any, you know, my good ammunition, you would say, mm -hmm. uh, back. And when he invited, we just kind of took off and I just grabbed that magazine and just threw it in there. And so, you know, loaded one up in the chamber. I always carry one up in the chamber that mm -hmm. second, few seconds or whatever, you know, could be the difference between, you know, life or death. I feel, I don't know if I would have remembered, you know, to load one up, you know, who knows. But at that point, I just knew just reach, pull it out, squeeze the trigger. That's all I needed to do. There's something we talk about with some regularity on the YouTube videos. And that is, or I know I, I frequently harp on it, which is the importance, especially we, 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 we talk about badge cams and dash cams. So a lot of law enforcement related shootings, but it, it, it pertains to everybody that uh, confidence you have in the equipment that you carry, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be your gun. It could be the ammo in your gun. It could be the holster. It could be a tourniquet. It could be uh -huh. anything. It could be pepper spray. Your confidence in that tool and the condition of that tool is so important because if you're, you know, if you're, if you're Raul and you're in that situation and you have to think even for half a second, you have to wonder, wait, what ammunition do I have? Wait, did I put one in the chamber? I don't remember. Do I need to, you know, and those, those thoughts will go through your head in, in, in split seconds, but those split seconds, as Raul, Raul will tell you, those split seconds matter. It makes a difference. If you hesitate, cause you're not sure that's going to be a problem. If you hesitate, because right. I've never even pressed the button on this pepper spray. I don't know what it's going to do. I don't know if it's, you know, I, is it facing the wrong way? Do I know what I'm doing? So, the idea that you you'd gone shooting, what I, I feel like what you knew for sure was maybe not what ammo you have in the gun, but that there's ammo in the gun, and that there's, there's ammo a, in the gun. That there's and, a round in the chamber, and you don't have to worry about that in the, right. in the moment of truth. Right, exactly. And it's not like even when I target practice, there's still good rounds. There's still good, you know, 
you know, FMJs are still going to do the job. I know they're not going to jam. You know, I had just shot it. It's not like I've put, you know, thousands of rounds through it before I've even cleaned it out. Like, you know, so I I knew it was ready to go. There was, you know, I was 100% confident that there was one in the chamber that if I squeeze that trigger, that round is going to come or, you know, that bullet is going to come out and the next one's going to go right back in there, you know? So confident in your equipment, definitely. So let's talk real quick about sort of the aftermath. Um, are you detained, questioned, or they put you right in an ambulance? What happens immediately there on the scene? Uh, once, <laughs> no, once they, they determine you're not the bad guy and they put their guns away, right, and you, they secure your gun, what happens next? I mean, unfortunately, they just tell me to go take a walk over there with my wife and go sit down on a curb. Okay. And so I go with my wife. We sit down on a curb, and she FaceTimes my brother and my brother's wife, you know, my wife is just hysterical. Ah, this and my brother, you know, they're both on the phone on FaceTime. Like, what the heck is going on? And my wife turns the camera showing my face like, whoa. Wow. And like, your brother got shot. He just got shot in the head. And, and so my brother goes hysterical and he's still on the phone. And he pretty much just jumps out of bed because this is already at night. Jumps out of bed and they just jump in the car. So he lives in Northern California. So they did what, an 11 hour drive straight through over here. So they drove and so finally she hangs up with my brother. And I don't know who else she calls my wife, but until finally one of the off, my wife mentions that she walks to the officers and, you know, hysterically. Like, I left my keys in the house. I'm going to go get my, my effing keys, right. and I'm going to drive on myself. If he dies, it's on you guys. And so finally, one of the officers comes to me, assesses the wound, you know, gets gauze or whatever, and tries to hold the bleeding, because I'm still bleeding out. Wow. You know? So addresses that, and finally, two officers put me in the back of, you know, their patrol car and drive me to the local hospital. That's probably about two, three miles so at any point after that, and we'll talk about your recovery here as well. It's important to me. At any point after that, are you ever even remotely concerned that you're a suspect, that you are being looked at for any kind of charge or anything related to you having to use your firearm? I wouldn't imagine you were, but you never know. Uh, I mean, at that point, I don't remember any of that now. I just remember waking up after surgery uh, from what they told me, you know, my family they see me the next day. I'm pretty much just covered in, you know, bandages and everything, covered eye because I lost an eye and everything. You know, I'm still covered, you know, blood, just dried blood everywhere. You know, they try to clean you as much as they can, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still bleeding. Um, that I was, you know, awake, trying to talk to them, that, I, you know, they already had incubated me or put the tubes down my throat. So I's trying to talk. And my family's telling me, like, don't try to talk, don't try to talk. So all I can do is just try to do, like, like sign language or just with my hands and just telling, you know, my my wife and kids and just, you know, holding their hand to my heart and just saying, like, I love you, you know, hmm. just things like that. Uh, I don't remember any of that. Uh, with my brother just pretty much going in there, I guess he was telling me with my wife and, you know, kids or just, you know, that. I was already acting like I, I'm not going to make it, you know, and I'm just telling my brother, you know, like, like watch over my family, you know, when I die. 
Yeah. So yeah. I'm just pretty much just saying my goodbyes. And when they finally told me I'm going into surgery that I, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to go to surgery that I was just already panicking, just thinking that I was just not going to make it from surgery, that something was going to go wrong. And, you know, I wasn't going to see him again. That's interesting. That's the first, that's the first time I've heard that, but that's an interesting, interesting insight. I'm still processing what you just said. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So, so you're actively thinking, are you, so you're kind of like at a point where you're like, okay, well, I mean, I'm obviously going to die. I'm not going to make it through this. Um, right. I, I don't, I want, I don't like, I don't want to be taken away from my loved ones to go to surgery where I'm clearly not going to make it through anyway. So just leave right. me alone. Is that kind of where your head was at? I, I guess that's, guess that's what I was getting at. I don't remember any of this, but, you know, my whole family has pretty much told me, you know, how I was when they were, you know, going in there. And that was on, you know, the following day. And then it took until the next day to go into surgery. That's when I didn't want to, when I was panicking and I was just going like, no, okay. I went to take you to surgery. And I was just saying like, no, no, like, and I was making like saying language, like, like, I'm going to die, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. And, you know, my family just know. You know, they say you're going to be okay. You know, they control the bleeding, nothing major hit. They right. just need to clean it. You know, they just need to clean everything out and, you know, repat and, you know, redo, you know, do stitches and do all that stuff. You're going to be okay. So, yes, I went into surgery and I woke up the next day. I believe that was on, on Thursday. At what point uh, are you sort of cognizant of the fact that you're you're now down one eye, you're missing one eye? Uh, after surgery, once I woke up, I woke up and that's when everything became a reality. Like I just kind of opened my eyes and like, I was still like extremely tired, but I'm just trying to open my eyes because I can hear voices. I can hear my family. Like I can hear my wife, you know, she never left my side. And so I, I just make that effort to just wake up, open my eyes. And just at that point. Just my wife, just like, do you remember anything? And I'm like, yeah. Like, oh, okay. Uh, she mentioned names, you know. Mm-hmm. This person, this person died. They were killed. You remember that? And I'm just like, like, yeah. You're like, and the shooter's dead too. And I'm just like, like, just confused. Like, just confused. Like, I'm trying to, like, put the pieces together and that's like when I'm like, well, what happened or what? You killed the shooter. I'm like, are you sure? She's like, yeah. I'm like, I didn't shoot anybody else. Like, no, he shot the shooter. And I was just like, regardless, don't speak to anybody. Get me a lawyer. Tell my brother. My brother walked in. I was like, get me a lawyer. You weren't wrong. Uh, That's the first thing. Don't say anything. Anybody. It's like, I already gave my testimony. Everybody did of what happened. They kept us there to I'm like, okay, whatever you said, you said, but don't say anything else. Just get me a lawyer. And then um, that same day, I think that same day or that night or the next day, I can't recall. To be honest, okay. The detectives already came in trying to question me. And I'm just like, I don't remember anything. I don't want to see you. Well, I'm like, I don't remember anything. I was shot in the head. I don't even remember being at that, at that party. Like, I'm hearing all these things, but I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And finally, they leave me a business card, and they they take off. <clears throat> and then again, they reach out, 
and they reach out just trying to get me to say, you know, whatever happened. And I'm just like, I don't remember. I don't remember. Which was, like, I got nothing was, to tell you. Well, the truth at that point, I mean, you just didn't, yeah. you only knew what you've been told, right? Exactly. Yeah. So did you get the sense at any point these detectives were sort of an adversarial role? Like they thought you were guilty of something or you just thought, I don't know. just be safe and, and wait and talk to an attorney first? I don't know. I just wanted to be safe and talk to an attorney. I, I don't know. I didn't know what the hell was going on, to be sure. honest. Um, I, I don't know what, what they were trying to get out of me. Just a story, just to get like what happened because I was there, or just trying to get my side of it of why I pulled the trigger. Right. Because at that point, they already knew I pulled the trigger because the detective already had told me there was two pistols fired that night, his and yours. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> you know, at that point, I don't know. Uh, the crazy thing is like a lot of the things that the detective. Like new findings, new things. Like he would reach out to all the other families, but not me, not my wife. We heard from other people. Oh, the mm. detective called us to tell us this. Oh, we just found out this. And I'm thinking, like, why isn't the detective reaching out to us? Just because a little aggressively, I told him I don't remember because he kept pushing. Like he kept pushing. Like, well, this, wow. well, you were there. They That's... said you weren't. Like they said you weren't struck anywhere in the head or the brain. So I'm sure you remember. And I'm just like, dude, you're pressing hard. So I pressed back like really aggressively. You know. Yeah, uh, as a career law enforcement officer, I can tell you that you need to have a lot thicker skin than that. If some, if if a victim who has lost an eye and just taken a life is a little short tempered, you need to figure it out. And you know what I mean. Go out and get a cup of coffee and take a deep breath and not take it personally. And I, mean, I, I didn't. I didn't get loud, and I was just like, "Look, I don't care what the doctor said. If it is strict my brain or not, I'm the one that got shot in the head and hit the ground. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, they're not in my head. I'm like, I don't remember." And just as kind of like that, like I'm telling you, that's how I told him. And I don't know if he got a little upset at me, but after that, like he stopped getting in touch. I would have to call him to follow up. Like, hey, what's going on with the investigation? Hey, can I talk to you? I don't remember. I want to, I want to, I'm trying to put the pieces together. I'm trying to play detective now because I was one of the victims there, you know, and I got shot in the head and you're telling me that I killed the guy, you know, so I want to know facts about this case. Can we talk? So we sat down and talked. And then he tried to make it all formal, like, oh, okay, this is, you know, detective, blah, blah, blah. I'm here with Raul Mendez. And he's giving, I'm like, I didn't tell you I'm giving you a testimony. I don't remember anything. I'm trying to ask questions for me to find out. So it just seems like he wasn't really out there to help me, I guess, cope through it, find answers, and, you know, move on from this, you know, tragedy. Uh, just seemed like maybe because I just didn't give him a testimony or anything. He just kind of just, I don't know, just, I'm not going to say retaliated, but just took no interest in me after that and just left me out of the loop and just ignored me. Yeah, who knows? That's a possibility. Uh, were there any other subsequent surgeries you had to go through? Uh, I went through that surgery. Uh, thankfully, no. Uh, they were going to pretty much restructure all this so this bone shifted to the right so that's why it's like so like this eye is this way mm-hmm. and so they were going to actually open me up and grind a bone put a metal plate to restructure and then stretch the eyelid and do eyelid surgery and try to get it the same but i didn't want to go that route for those like, who are just so listening soon. by the way he's referring to his left ocular cavity cheekbone area is what he's talking about yeah, so I, I have a glass eye now. It 
thankfully, I mean, it still kind of moves. I don't know if you can kind of see my left eye that I'm my missing eye, which is the glass eye, my prosthetic eye moves a little bit because I still got some muscle behind there. Mm -hmm. So on the surgery, they were able to grab as much muscle that survived and kind of ball it up and put it together. Mm. And it's still connected to, I guess, the area of the brain that gives it the movement. It can't move that much, but it still moves. But they were going to do that. Uh, I mean, thankfully, I didn't have to. I was just happy with the way, you know, it turned out. The way I see it, it's my war scar. I am actually don't like this prosthetic eye that looks like my real or like my eye that didn't get hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first prosthetic eye was just like all blank, all black. I think I might go to something like that because that, that way at least it doesn't look like I'm, I don't know, how can you say cockeyed or like one eye is all like, you know, all weird. And at least if it's just all black, like you can automatically tell like, oh, this guy's missing an eye, you know? And again, I'm I'm proud of this war scar. Uh, kids look at me and just stare at me, and I don't get mad. I just make a, a weird, silly face to them to try to just mess with them, you know, things like that. See, you know, people ask me, they have, like, hey, I don't mean to, you know, what happened to your eye? You know, oh, I'm glad that you asked. There's a great story behind this, you know. Do you I'll, have time? I'll share a quick story with you since we're talking about prosthetic eyes there was a uh, me and my buddy mike that i used to work with uh arrested a guy one time and he he also had a um he had a glass eye and his favorite thing to do and he'd been arrested more than once let's put it that way his favorite thing to do in the booking area once he was uncuffed was to wait until the whatever officer was processing him wasn't paying attention he would pop the eye out and then hold it out at arm's length and say i've got an eye on you to whoever it is you're sitting <laughs> to. And every That's time funny. I tell Mike that story, we we laugh out loud. Rolls or anything else you wanted to to leave our audience with? I don't want to um I don't want to end the interview without without making sure you've told the entire story and anything else. Yeah, you think well, might no. be relevant. Uh I mean, story-wise, I pretty much covered it all. Just pretty much want to just let all the listener know. Listeners, the people that are watching, just let them know that uh situations like this, you know, this was unexpected. Not in a million years, my family and I thought we would ever get, go through something like this. So I am that living proof that, you know, there is a lot, you know, there is evil out there, you know, where you least expect it. So all I can tell everybody is just to train, continue to train, and just, you know, always watch your back, always be vigilant, just always be aware of your surroundings. And I mean, I'm not saying not to trust anybody. Because there is a people that will remain by your side. You know, I trust my family 100%. Mm-hmm. But just something feels a little off. Trust that gut feeling. Just get out of there if you can. Uh, why risk it? But again, we're in some evil times. I mean, just be prepared. Always be prepared. Carry. Carry one in the chamber and just be ready to go. Because it can happen anytime, anywhere. Last thing I want to ask um, before we part ways you know, Stephanie Widener is our CEO and she teaches um, several classes, but one of her best classes is for sort of to give women sort of, um, it's really, a, I would call it like an awareness class more than anything else. Just like, hey, right. but one of her big points that she hammers home is if you get that feeling like something's not right, listen to it. Don't ignore right. it. Don't because we hit, everyone has a normalcy bias. Um, I think gen- very generally speaking, women tend to have a stronger normalcy bias because generally speaking, again, generally speaking, 
you know, they're smaller, not as strong, not able to do the same thing right. perhaps a man can do. And the, again, these are all generalities because I don't want to get fired or sued or yelled at. <laughs> but but that women tend to, more than men, tend to be like, okay, this. I'm sure this is fine. I know I'm walking to my car and it's dark and it's 11 p.m. and there's no one else in this parking lot but me, but there's some guy walking towards me, f- which has never happened in the three years I've worked at this place. But I'm sure it's fine. I'll just keep walking towards my car instead of turning around and going back inside or right. getting on the phone and calling 911 or getting your pepper spray out of your purse or whatever the case may be. Um, there, There is a line between paranoia and attentiveness. Right. Be, be attentive. Be alert. Pay attention to your surroundings. But most importantly, when that stimulus hits your brain that says something might not be right here, you need to, in Stephanie's words, rapidly and radically accept reality. This is happening. I must now do something about it, whatever that something might be. Hopefully you've had that conversation. If you're a firearms carrier, hopefully you've had that conversation with yourself already with you and your God that said where you said, you know what? I can, if I'm faced with the the necessity of pulling a trigger on a human being to protect my life and that of, of other people, I will, I can do that. I know that I can do that and I will do that. And maybe, maybe even imagined it a few times so that, that there is a mental rep that's happened there before, God forbid, you're at your neighbor's house, or your friend's house, and some crazy guy starts shooting. You've already had that conversation. It's not the first time the thought has crossed your mind that you may have to do that. Uh, and it sounds to me like you, you know, you accepted radically and rapidly reality as quickly as you possibly could. Didn't much matter initially because the guy just had the drop on you. And sometimes people just get the drop on you. And right. you can't lay awake at night wondering what you could have done better. And I'm not talking about you here. I'm talking in general. Um, sometimes you just get the drop. That doesn't mean you're going to lose the fight. You got shot right. in the side of the head, in the face. It blew out one of your eyeballs. Doesn't mean you're out of the fight. If you're still breathing, if you're still alert, um, you could still fight. Continue to fight. And I think, uh, honestly, Raleigh, your story is, is is right up there, probably in the top three most harrowing stories I've heard. And I think you, you've set a great example. Um, man, I can't wish you well enough in your endeavors as a firearm instructor to go out there and help people uh, learn those lessons. Um, and you got my email. Keep in touch, man. We're, we're not far. I'll be in Phoenix at some point. Maybe look you up. We'll go get a coffee or something. And uh, for get, sure. Get to know you a little better, man. Thank you so much for coming on. For I really sure. appreciate your time, bro. Yeah. And if anybody wants to follow me on social media, I do yeah. have a, a website to all my links. Pretty much gives you links to my Instagram, you know, Facebook, every single link that I have. Uh, but it's at GA110ENT.com. So just GA110ENT.com. All right. So if you missed that, rewind right. it 15 seconds. You can hear it again. Raul Mendez, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Everybody have a great day.